It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Morning, church. Morning. How are we doing today? It's so good to be back with you. I uh, uh, appreciate uh, this particular body of believers, and, and it's always nice to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the privilege of speaking to you today. I always am whenever uh, the, the time allows me, or the opportunity, I should say, affords me uh, to be able to speak to you from the Word of God. And, and I'm particularly blessed uh, because of Pastor Les and his involvement with you over uh, the last period of time. And uh, some of you know I was on uh, his staff when he was in Idaho Falls, uh, and that's all fine and good. But I think what's probably not real clear is that he's been a mentor to me as well as uh, currently an advisor. So I, I deeply appreciate him and hope that he and Linda are having a, a wonderful time of refreshment uh, while they're away from you. Um, Jason always amazes me, uh, the composure he has up here speaking to you when he prays. I'm always challenged by that, and I always feel inadequate. So uh, make sure you let him know how, how wonderful he is. That's a wonderful gift that he has from God, the way he speaks to you and leads you in prayer. And I'm particularly blessed today... Um, by uh, Ethan and meeting his fiance, Hannah. What a wonderful surprise today. Uh, I say that because Ethan, uh, I've known him since his days in the nursery. Uh, before, before he can remember me, I remember him. And, and uh, for those of you in the youth group, all the stories I could tell. But uh, we won't go there today. Uh, I just want to get right into this today. It's important. It's a, it's a message that... Uh, is, is certainly applies to you in the sense of what I see is a vast uh, range in demographics within this church, the age grouping and so on. It's such a blessing to see that because it's really a sign of a very healthy church. Uh, I'm going to uh, invite you to stand as I read uh, two short verses uh, from the uh, First Peter chapter 2. Uh, and you may not recognize... Uh, the words that I'm using, I'm speaking from uh, uh, Phillips' translation of 1952. Uh, some of us were, well, I wasn't even around then, but uh, some of you were, perhaps. Uh, this is a translation that uh, uses words a little bit differently, but I, I'm drawn to it because it, it uh, speaks to a large part of our message today. So Peter, and then if you would just remain standing as we pray uh, right after I conclude reading this. Uh, but you are God's chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his peculiar people. All the old titles of God's people now belong to you. It is for you now to demonstrate the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his amazing light. In the past, you were not a people at all. Now you are the people of God. In the past, you had no experience of his mercy, but now it is intimately yours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this body of believers and how you have, how you have grown it and sustained it. 
Lord, for, for your church in this community. We praise you for, for the multiple generations that comprise this congregation, Lord. As, I, as I've looked out and seen them, I've seen your hand in this body and in maintaining it and, and growing it, Lord. We praise you for that. I ask that you unite them as one, just as Jesus prayed. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you make your presence known today that we would all understand that you are speaking to us in our hearts and our minds. And may our hearts and minds be open to the divine truth of your word, Lord. And I ask as as I speak now the message you give me for for your anointing to do this in such a manner that, that they no longer see or hear me, but Lord, that they hear you and are touched by you. And I ask this. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want you to, uh, for a moment, to, to let me read that, uh, those two verses from 1 Peter again so, that, so you can kind of allow it to soak in the words. Again, it's a little bit different translation than may be used to. Um, maybe even just close your eyes so you can hear without distraction, okay? Peter says, but you, you right here, you are God's chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his peculiar people. All the old titles of God's people now belong to you. It is for you now to demonstrate the goodness of him who has called you out of darkness into his amazing light. In the past, you were not a people at all. Now you are the people of God. Wow. In the past, you had not experienced his mercy. Now you know his mercies intimately. What an amazing word there. You know, Luke, Luke in writing this, was, was speaking to all believers, all believers, as a single large group spanning, spanning 20 plus centuries of Christendom. In this regard, the word generation that he uses here and that, uh, that Phillips uses here, that word, that word generation carries the idea of a chosen people, one select group, and that select group is the church. It's the church. The church uh, in, the, in the Greek is the ekklesia, which simply means the called out, the assembled. We were called out, as, as, as Peter writes, we were called out from the darkness of the world into this amazing light that God sheds upon us and God pours out upon us, that cleansing light, that light of truth. We were called out from that darkness to be part of this group, the ecclesia, the assembled. And we are called out so that we can go back into the world and tell them about that amazing light. Tell them about the mercies of God that are all available to them through the name of Jesus Christ, by choosing to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, Peter's use of the word generation contrasts with how Mary uses it in her song of praise, the Magnificat. We see that in, in, in chapter 1 of Luke, and we're going to look at that in a second, the verses 46 through 50. In, this, in that particular section, Mary has just come to visit her cousin Elizabeth who was carrying in her womb John the Baptist and and Mary herself is also now pregnant with our Lord and Savior Jesus and and she goes and and as um, 
she meets with Elizabeth, and I'm actually going to begin in, in verse uh, 45 there. Again, uh, chapter 1 of Luke, uh, verse 45. This is where Elizabeth speaks to Mary and says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. And then Mary's response is this, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Mary was referring to the many successive age groups, one upon another, one following upon each other, each with its unique qualities and each occupying its time in the church with its duty to accomplish the mission of the church. My message has to do with both meanings of that word generation and how Jesus uses multiple generations working as one. To enhance his church and its effectiveness in making disciples. Drawing upon Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, where Jesus declares that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them his commands. My message today is entitled Closing Generation Gaps. Closing Generation Gaps. A a simple definition of a generation gap is the result of different age groups with different, different perspectives, making them unable to effectively communicate and therefore they limit their ability to work together to accomplish a common goal. That's a simple definition. Different age groups unable to communicate for one reason or another and therefore hindering their ability to to get to make progress. And that definition in the case of the church can hinder its abilities to make disciples, to make Jesus followers. The global culture and and the Bible itself measure a generation as, as 30 to 40 years. Although that's not ironclad, for example, the baby boomer generation, which I'm a part of. How many of you are baby boomers? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. The baby boomer generation, uh, that was actually from 1946 to 1964, not even 20 years to measure a given generation. My wife and I are both baby boomers, but she's 10 years younger than me. And that age difference has resulted, it's resulted in, in uh, different tastes in music, in in fashion, in hairstyles, and a myriad of other things. So even within a generation, there can be differences, although they tend to be relatively insignificant and even funny. I I used to sell clothes in a men's store when I was uh, both in high school and in college, even for a while when I had dropped out of school. And I I had a pair of flare-bottom polyester pants, they were awesome. They were, they were tan in color with brown 
and orange stripes and geometric patterns. You know? Yeah, I heard some people go, wow. Yes. How many of you guys had those too? Okay. <laughs> I, I treasured those. And even though I knew they were out of style, I just knew there was something about them that was worth preserving and saving. And I kept them in my closet. And when we were married almost 35 years ago, she saw those and she thought they were pretty funny, much as some of you did. The old saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I treasured those and my wife put them in the trash is what happened. So... But I want to tell you that across generational lines, across generational lines, differences are not so funny. And they can employ finger pointing and accusations of you're too old or you're too young to understand the significance of a given subject and how to deal with it. Those generational differences even show up in the church. Not so so much in a way that's accusatory, but... But, but generational differences show up. As I said, we, we use different Bible translations. When I came in this morning and asked the, the gentleman in the, in the sound booth back there, and I gave him a list of scriptures, and I said, um, I asked him what, what translation they use. They use NIV, New International Version. I said, well, I don't suppose you have a 1952 <laughs> J.B. Phillips. And they didn't, but I didn't expect them to. But, but I spoke to you using a 1952 translation to bring a point to you. To use that word generation, that we're a peculiar generation, a chosen generation, a peculiar people. But yet I'm speaking to you and preaching primarily from a 2017 Christian Standard Bible. Some of you today are using even different translations. Like I said, you may be using the NIV, you may be using the New King James. I don't know. It's all the same truth. Some of us are using Bibles with actual pages in a book form. Some of you are using Bibles that are on a phone. We see these differences and yet we accommodate them because they're not a big difference. They're saying the same word of God, the same divine truth. In 1952, men wore suits and women wore dresses to church. Today, it's perfectly acceptable Maybe not today, but but in warmer months to show up in shorts and t-shirts. We see these differences and we may be prone to build walls separating our respective generations, but I don't think Jesus sanctions walls. He's opposed to generation gaps in his church. The gospel we preach and promote must reflect a continuum across generations. I want to give you a quick illustration. My father was of the greatest generation, born in 1923, raised largely during the Depression. Went to Europe and fought in World War II, helping defeat Nazi Germany. Came back and started the baby boomer generation. Not, not him individually, but, but he, and his, <laughs> he and his... He and my mother. Yes, we should... Re- <laughs> that generation... The greatest generation is referred to. Yet he went to church with someone on, at, at a church uh, pastored by a baby boomer. Some of you know the, the name of Saddleback Church. Saddleback Church is in Southern California where my father attended in the 1990s. Saddleback Church is pastored by Rick Warren. Some of you know that name. If you don't know that name, perhaps you know the book he wrote and perhaps read, Purpose Driven Life. When my father was attending Rick Warren's church, 
Rick Warren used to wear Hawaiian shirts and no socks. And this, this somehow, this somehow with my father of the greatest generation, you would think that that would, that would establish that wall I'm talking about. No, but he applauded that. He thought it was wonderful. He used to tell people all about the fact that Rick Warren preached without socks. That was somehow so important to him. But it's an example of how we get past these generational differences. In the Gospel of Luke, specifically in chapter 3 and verses 23 through 48, you'll need to turn there because we're not going to read through that, but those verses, 23 through 48, record the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And it consists of 77 generations And across those 77 generations, a common theme, a continuum, if you will, of who God is and what he expects is repeated over and over. We see that in Deuteronomy. I want to read that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 7. This is Moses speaking. This is the command, the statutes, the statutes, the statutes and ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this so you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson. Three generations right there. That you may do that and so that you may live a long life. Listen, Israel. And be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel. And this is the Shema now. You've heard that term before. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this was particularly uh, uh, relevant to them because they're going to enter into Canaan where the, the neighboring nations all had multiple gods. They practice polytheism, and what's being conveyed here is that, no, we have one God. We're monotheistic. We have one God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with your your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be held in your heart and repeat them to your children. The significance of generation to generation being made aware of who God is and what he expects of us continued through those 77 generations from Adam to Jesus and now continues within the church today as we have the gospel to to pass on to the next generation. Those Old Testament passages remind us that we must never accept, accommodate, or promote generation gaps in the local church. The Christian church, the ecclesia, is comprised of thousands of local churches, both big and small. And regardless of size, each and every one contains multiple generations that are equally important. One is not more important than the other. They're equally important to the well-being and ongoing existence of the healthy church promoting the Great Commission. Healthy, outward-looking, forward-focused churches are comprised of four equally valuable generations, according to Steve. (laughs) Four. The first one, the oldest generation. 
These are our 80-plus-year-old brothers and sisters, the octogenarians and older, who still attend church services when they're able to, who still pray, who still praise the Lord, who still in some fashion serve God. And that generation is an inspiration to all of us. If you're, if you're 80 or older and you're not too embarrassed, would you just raise your hand? I want to see who you are today. Yeah, thank you. There's a few of you out there. I applaud you. Thank you for serving. You're an inspiration to us. Because I hope and pray that when I'm, if the Lord should give me that many years, that I would be like you, sitting in a pew, worshiping God, praying for others. The next is the youngest generation. This is the nursery through teens. And they're learning the importance of church attendance. They're learning the importance of prayer. They're learning the importance of God's word. They're learning the importance of praising God. And they're a blessing to us. I was so, during our visiting time or fellowship time, I met a number of young people here and I was so blessed by them. These young ladies up front and there was Morgan and some other, his brother and others, younger ones here. What a joy. You know, Psalm 127 talks about the man who has a number of sons and how they, how they, uh, how blessed it is to have a, a, a quiver full of arrows using that metaphor of having children. And this church has a quiver full. Amen. 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 They're a blessing. A blessing to this church. The next generation I want to talk about is the leadership generation. I'm going to take a little bit longer with that because they are so important right now. This generation carries the burden. Carries the burden of present day leadership and direction for the church. How these typically older individuals conduct themselves is critical to raising up godly successors. The Apostle Paul recognized that there were two generations needing direction, the elders and the next in line. And Paul understood that his own time was coming to an end. Indeed, as he wrote these pastoral epistles, and one of them he writes, he's in prison. In a short time, he, tradition holds, he's going to be beheaded. He knew his time was short. He understood that his time in leadership was coming to an end. It's so important for all of us in leadership to be able to anticipate and hear God clearly when he speaks to us about stepping aside and allowing the next generation to step forward. That's not to say that we're done we just applauded our, our octogenarians who were still in some fashion worshiping the Lord and an inspiration to us. But Paul understood his time as a leader was ending and younger believers needed godly examples to eventually assume leadership roles. He wrote the pastoral letters, both First and Second Timothy and Titus, to accomplish these two goals, to ensure older men and women were godly role models and to ensure the younger generation respected older Christians. I want to go to Titus now. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And, and Paul speaking to Titus, who's a younger man, telling him, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance, 
In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. We older male baby boomers, in some cases the patriarchs of our families, typically in our mid-50s to our mid-70s, were to be self-controlled without ungodly habits and strong biases. Why would God say that? Because we tend to be, have strong biases. Instead, we're to be temperate in how we view things. Not ranting and going off on on anything that may trouble us in the news. We're to be sensible. We're to avoid non-biblical ideas. Let me give you an example. Man-made global warming. As a geologist for years, I can tell you the geological record shows that there has been global warming and global cooling throughout Earth's history. Quite honestly, it's rather arrogant of us to be assuming that we are capable of causing the world to warm up. And I'll give you, I don't want you to think I'm just being political there. I want to go ahead and read you a particular scripture. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. So, if, you know, we have, we have friends, even other believers, who are, who are so enamored with this idea that we have to be careful about global warming. Yes, we ought to be good stewards of the earth. But at the same time, we have to bring it back to what the Word of God says. I encourage you, if you have someone, you're in a discussion with them, a godly discussion, a self-controlled discussion, it's, it's okay to say, you know, I understand you feel strongly about that. May I share with you, may I share with you what the Word of God has to say about this. I preach that, and uh, that, that particular, I share that particular uh, verse when, when Les was in uh, Oregon. I went up there and preached for him. He was gone somewhere again. And, and, I, and I preached that. And I had a woman come up to the afterwards and say, what was that scripture? I need to know that particular scripture. It's relevant to today. The church has to be relevant today. If not, why would anybody pay attention to it? We have to be sound in faith, men. Sound in faith, grounded in scripture and offering sound biblical counsel. And making sound biblical decisions. We ought to have love that practicing that agape style love that, that's accepting and approving of the next generation, regardless of whether they have purple hair or not. We ought not be judging on those things that don't matter, but loving, accepting, and approving them, and particularly unbelievers. Why would we condemn an unbeliever when they don't know the truth? Their truth is, is relative to whatever's going on that day. But we have the divine truth. And so we have to come with an understanding and recognize and a loving acceptance, but helping others understand, not simply writing them off. Finally, we're to be, have endurance. In Paul's second letter to Timothy in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. Think about that. 
Fight the good fight. As older men, we face unique challenges we haven't dealt with before. Whether they're financial, whether they're health, the passing of a spouse, challenges we've never had to deal with. He says, fight the good fight. Keep your faith. And he says something really significant. He says, finish the race. That's talking about dying. It's dying well with a joyful anticipation of what lies after you take that last breath and last heartbeat. And letting our families and those loved ones see that we're anticipating this wonderful, joyous eternity. For the older female baby boomers, uh, sometimes the family matriarchs, those of you who are in your mid-50s to mid-70s, you're to be reverent. That means worthy of respect and avoiding slander and gossip. Years ago in the church my wife and I attended when we were first married there, the women went to a retreat or a women's conference. There were a number of churches represented there. And, and there was one, evidently one young woman who, who I'm assuming was a new believer. And either by her, her, her style of dress, uh, her, her words she used, and her mannerisms, whatever, as a new believer, she was different. She stood out. And it quickly began a rumor spread. She's a witch. She's a witch. And there was an older woman whose name was Beverly, but everybody knew her as Bev. And Bev was of that generation that's supposed to be taking over. And she, she stepped in and she quashed that whole rumor. She shut it down. It was slanderous. It was malicious. It was gossip. And you women of that age time, of that mature, that maturity level, need to step in and stop that. That's what God's word says. Finally, it says you to be teachers, to instruct younger women to be good in their biblical roles. What does that mean? This doesn't mean you have to be subservient to your husband, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, making him sandwiches. I mean, it's nice at a certain stage in life. But there's a point there. And what, what he's saying is that he says you teach the younger women that they have a godly role in their home. And teach them how to live that. Don't just tell them. Teach them. And it doesn't mean, as I said, that you're supposed to be some type of a slave to a husband. No. Look at Proverbs 31. There's a godly woman there. Proverbs 31. She's taking care of her home. She's taking care of her husband, her family. She's that good homemaker that that we read about here. But she also has a career. The difference is that she, she has her priorities. Her family is first and then her career. And God blesses them both. Well, that was the third generation. I want to now focus on this fourth generation. I call it the successor generation. These younger men and women must be preparing themselves to assume leadership roles. First Timothy. First Timothy. We see this in here where Paul writes in chapter 4. Verses 11 through 16, and then chapter 5, verse 1. He says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth. 
but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading and exhortation and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And finally, then he goes on to write, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. Wow, he's crossed two generations here. We're talking about this in this, these younger generations, they have to be exercising, exercising gifts given by God, the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says this, a manifestation or a gift of the Holy Spirit is given to each person. Each of you has a spiritual gift. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it. Seek to understand it and exercise it. And in this particular case, Paul is telling Timothy, you have a gift. And while it came from the Holy Spirit, it was ordained in you by the laying on of hands of the older generation. Older generation. Leadership generation. It's up to you. It's up to us to be looking at those younger people to recognize when God has given a gift to that next generation and to, to, to confirm it, to affirm it. And allow it to be exercised for the common good of the church. It's not our place to hold down what God is trying to bubble up within his body of believers. And that generation, which is typically in their 20s to late 40s, that successor generation, you have to conduct yourselves in a manner that you can't be criticized for your youth, but you're going to also set an example in your speech that you use, in your conduct, in your agape love, your acceptance of others, in your faith, in your purity. And then also respecting older men as fathers and older women as mothers. And while the leadership generation carries the burden of present-day leadership and direction for the church, the successor generation will be called to lead and guide the church into its future. Together, these two generations determine the health, the growth, and the effectiveness of the church. Therefore, they must work together with mutual respect in order to maximize the mission of the church and the community to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them Jesus' commands. Don't forget, that is what your mission is. That's our mission. That's our purpose for existing. Called out of the darkness to go back into the darkness to bring those people back into the light of Christ. Don't get wrapped up in church politics. It's easy to do. There ought... There ought to be mutual acceptance of older and new approaches to share the gospel. Even today, Jason in speaking shared about how you're you're streaming, you're live streaming, and some people may be listening right now, scratching their heads and and, uh, getting that sandwich I was talking about. But, But bottom line is, this is new. The fact that technology allows us to reach others, that's important. 
in Mud Lake, we didn't have fancy technology. We had a, we had a tripod with a cell phone. Right, right here. But we were able to reach beyond the walls of a very small church and a community of 358 people. We were able to reach people who were in Wyoming. It reached some people who were in Colorado. Some people who, who uh, uh, were, were in northern Idaho. What God allows us to do when we strive to reach others. So we want, to, we want to embrace these newer ways that make sense. And in some cases, we have to let go of those things because it's the way we have always done it. Some of those things are good. Some of those old practices are still relevant and need to be maintained. But others are threadbare and ought to be retired. And that doesn't mean that every new thing that comes along should be accepted either. There are some new ideas that probably ought to be avoided. Let me tell you this. Only the gospel, only the gospel is sacred and cannot be adjusted to satisfy changing times. The local church today stands at a critical crossroads. And I thought that was humorous when I wrote this and I reflected on the idea that you're at a crossroads right here. (laughs) You're at a crossroads, church. You're at a crossroads. A community desperately needs the church to be vibrant and relevant in order to reach every demographic with the gospel. And it's a simple message, isn't it? Paul wrote to the believers in Rome in chapter 10, verse 9. He said, if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning he is is the eternal and the immortal God the Son who became flesh, so he could die on a cross and then resurrected, thereby defeating the power of death. If you can believe those things, if you choose to believe those things, you are saved. No hoops to jump through. No big checks to write. A simple decision that says, I choose to believe the good news of the gospel. But how can they choose to believe it if we're not telling it to them? And if we're not making it relevant in a fashion that they can understand it and embrace it. A leadership generation has a responsibility to develop the successor generation and provide opportunities for it to assume leadership roles and encourage its members to take a baton and run with it, to pass that baton on. And the successor generation has a responsibility to submit and learn from the leadership generation and eventually grab that baton of leadership and run and take the church into the future. And my previous church, and I don't mean this to denigrate anybody, but in my previous church, there were council members who had been there 30 and 40 years. And nobody younger. And I told them, They were bound by some administrative things. And I said, unless you change these administrative things and you provide opportunity for the younger generation, it's a matter of time before this church has to close its doors. You see, we have to have that continuum across generations, developing them. And it's like you go to the grocery store and you put your food on the the conveyor belt and it moves on down. 
It moves on down. It's relevant. It's what's going on. And then it goes into a bag because you know what? It's either that generation's gone home to be with the Lord and the next generation comes on. It's a continuum. I can remember as a brand new Christian, as a youth pastor, and here I am, a mature, vastly experienced pastor. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing because I'm having a hard time not. <laughs> and so is my, that could have been my wife laughing, but she's probably stifling it. That time goes on. I want to move towards closing. Is that good? What time do you get done here? 12? Okay, I got 10 minutes. Great. Years ago, when I was a younger man, I used to run a lot of uh, 5K races, 3.2 mile, 10K races, stuff like that. And there was one in Idaho Falls, <clears throat> and it began on one side of the Snake River, and it ran uh, downstream, followed the river, then it crossed over, and then it ran upstream. And then it ran through uh, some uh, res residential area, and then it emptied into the, uh, the uh, ballpark, the baseball stadium that the minor league team plays in. And um, when you came into the stadium, it went all the way out the right field line to the outfield fence, and it followed along the fence, and then it came back down the left field line and crossed home plate. And that was 3.2 miles by somebody's measurement. And I came around from the left field and I was getting ready to just kind of, got nothing left here, let's go for it all. Don't reserve anything. And I started to run faster and I was coming up on a young boy. I would guess he was probably 13, maybe 14. But his father was over here. And his father was telling him, there's a guy right behind you, don't let him pass you, don't let him pass you. And I picked up on that and I realized, it's not my turn his turn and so I was running behind him I just kind of slowed myself down and was matching his stride and I just began to tell him son don't give up you keep going don't stop don't let me pass you you finish this race and I don't say that to uh, pat myself on the back it was just a reality of realizing that as we grow older it's time to make room for that next group to come up and have their time. Genesis chapter 6, and this is where I'm going to finish up today. Genesis chapter 6. I'm just going to go through a couple of verses here. This is that uh, depiction of this incredibly corrupt and violent earth. Beginning in verse 5, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And we drop down, and, but he says, but Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God, and Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then the Lord spoke, speaks later in verse 14. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And then finally, in the end of that chapter, in verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. 
Noah's time. Noah's time is he represents this leadership generation. He represents that leadership generation and, and at the same time this chapter depicts how it was time to release the successor generation. In this patriarchal scenario, Noah is the sole member of this leadership generation. And, and Shem, Ham, and Japheth are the successor generation. And they, they had this wonderful opportunity. They observed their father's obedience and godly conduct. Even as he preached, they observed him for over 100 years, over one century, as he's building the ark, about 120 years. They watched their father. They watched the leadership generation conduct himself in a godly fashion, totally obedient and submitted to God. And as a result, they learned how to become the leadership generation. And we see this in chapter 9, verse 18 and 19. After the flood has gone away, the waters have subsided, the ark comes to rest, and God is now telling Noah and everybody to come out. In verse 18, it says, Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then skipping down to 19, these three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah's time as a leadership generation was over. He was no longer God's go-to guy. God's purpose now required the transition of the successor generation into the leadership generation. Noah had done everything God told him to do, and now Shem, Ham, and Japheth were being told something to do. Repopulate the earth. Repopulate the earth. The history of the flood is an account of two generations working together to advance God's purpose. And that account should also become the history of every local church today. I want to repeat that. The history of the flood is an account. It's an account of two generations working together to advance God's purpose. And that account should also become the history of this and every other Christian church today. As I conclude... I want to remind you what I said. Jesus does not condone generation gaps in his church. And Paul's admonitions to Titus and Timothy, coupled with the examples of Noah and his sons, show us that different generations with their unique qualities can work together to advance God's purpose. And there is always, always a God-ordained transition time. Pride of ownership by the leadership generation has to be relinquished at some point when God leads to the successor generation in order to maintain the church's influence in the community. The leadership generation must lead by godly example and prepare the successor generation. And similarly, the successor generation must step up and build upon, not tear down, but build upon what their predecessors accomplished and repopulate 
the church. Your flyer says, and now I do a benediction. So let's do that. I want to read to you one final scripture from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And the writer of Hebrews speaking to the generation says this, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Let us across generations recognize, remember we're one generation a peculiar people and we need to encourage each other. We need to provoke each other to good works and love. And with that said, let me pray over you today. May you be a complete generation without differences that hinder but instead, may you be a people who encourages one another and wins the lost to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.